Welcome to My Empower Project with your host, Erin Rowe. We will discuss nutrition, fitness, becoming your own boss, and just becoming better every day. I invite you to join My Empower Project as we embark, embrace, encompass, and enlighten. Peter Ciancarelli is a pet health and longevity coach from Medfield, Massachusetts. He's the founder of his Facebook group. It's called Allie's Canine Cancer Crew. He's also a consultant for a California-based whole molecule CBD and THC cannabis oil collective King Harvest. It was his experiences with his dog Allie that ignited his search for answers, options, and alternatives outside of the conventional information he trusted that led to Allie's health struggles and deterioration, but he's since helped her rebound on a remarkable level. He's on a mission to educate and inspire others on what they can do to help their beloved pets live their best life possible. Welcome to my Empower Project. On my show, I introduce you to new concepts. If you are a dog owner, I know you will learn a lot from today's guest. Hey, Peter, how's it going? Hey, Erin. Thank you for having me today. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. I always share with my friends who are listening just a quick story before we begin. I was in the midst of chaos. I had just been told awful news. I went into a full-blown research mode. I ended up speaking to the owner of King Harvest, which you can tell us about in a bit. And they patched me through to their canine specialist, which was Peter. So we spoke just about six months ago. And I don't request many friends on Facebook at all. Honestly, I use Instagram, but I randomly started following Peter and I saw he had a Facebook group, joined it. And then a few days later, I realized that you were who I talked to months earlier. I was happy to see that you were sharing information that I was actually seeking on alternative methods of helping dogs. Can you tell me a little bit about Allie, of course, and also about yourself? Yeah, thank you, Erin. So, you know, well, first of all, hello to everybody listening. My name is Peter, and I'm basically the category of pet owners that say to themselves all the time, if I only knew now, if I only knew then what I know now. That category of pet owners that have made a lot of mistakes with their pets, those pet owners who are up day and night researching, wanting the best for their animal, I'm of that category. And the reality is, I made a lot of mistakes with my dog, Allie. And the things that I really haven't forgiven myself for today, Erin, and Really, this is my therapy, taking what I've learned, what I've gone through, my experience, everything, and just wanting to give it back to pet parents in a way that's very digestible. And it's the most important thing in the world to me is that I'm a proud dog dad to my almost 11-year-old pup, Allie. So really, it's just my own paranoia, my own anxiety for losing the love. You know, I don't remember my first dog, Mindy, who was a golden retriever, um, you know, growing up as a kid. And, And so for me, Allie is the first dog I've ever had that I've been completely responsible for. And the fear of losing her is really my biggest driver. That's basically, you know, what, I, what can I do to be able to have her here with me for as long as possible? And how long is, is as long as possible? That's always been like the greatest question. When you look back in really old literature, like 8th century BC before Christ, you know, Odysseus and his dog Argos, we have animals that research tells us, even if we look at you know, stories and fables that tell us that dogs can live to be in their 20s and 30s. It wasn't that long ago that they were doing that. But today we're really hard pressed to see eight or nine or even 10 for that matter. So that's the biggest driver is the fact that I refuse to lose the love of my life for things that I didn't research properly or knowing that I have the opportunity for her to live as lo- so long as possible. It's right there in front of me and that I didn't research it or didn't find it because of my ignorance. So that's really the main driver. 
Yeah, we have to be our own advocates. And like humans, there are so many factors in making decisions on how we care for our pets. And I didn't know that dog food was not what we should be feeding our dogs until not too long ago. What are your thoughts on a dog's diet? Dog food, or rather I'll say dog's feed, because that's it's feed. It's what it is. It's just it's meant to be thrown on the ground in a barn. It's the same things that you need to feed, you know, barn animals. It's heavily processed, it's extruded, cooked, heated at really high temperatures, and it's not good for the for the body. It's not species appropriate. And the same reason basically though why we're getting cancer, humans are getting these aggressive cancers as well, is because we're eating meat that's, you know, factory farmed and full of antibiotics and growth hormones. And those animals that we're consuming weren't eating foods that, you know, mother nature intended for them to eat. So the same things for our dogs. That's the very foundation, the core of everything is food. Food is medicine. And and we have to be looking at what were dogs eating before the invention of kibble. You know, Spratt was the guy who created the first like dog kicks. And, you know, we have to be thinking about what were dogs and cats eating before then? They weren't eating every single day. They were eating table scraps that their owners were throwing to them. You know, and I'm sure they were living to be a lot longer than eight or nine. And so we really should be feeding fresh human raw, preferably raw foods. And that's what species appropriate nutrition is. Fresh fruits and veggies. It'll be a little bit different if your dog has cancer. But, you know, there's no such thing as dog food and human food. It's all just food. Yeah, and I don't want to misspeak, but I remember somewhere in my research, I was reading that canines, they really do come from wolves, really should be eating, like you said, what they ate in the wild years ago, kind of a wolf. Really the ultimate question that every single dog and cat lover on this planet has is like, why aren't they living to be, why aren't they living as long today? Why are dogs dying so young, rather? So I think today with the research and the technology we have, we, we know that there are two main factors for that. And, you know, one is, like you mentioned, is the most terrible and obvious factor is that the DNA they have, they inherited that from the wolf. And we know that wolves don't really live that long. I mean, why couldn't they just live as long as elephants, you know? That's, so that's one of the hurdles that we have to face today as pet parents is their short lifespan they inherited. And the second is what science is telling us today is causing all these diseases, which is the environment, around us and of course the food that we just talked about that we put into the bowl we bring them to our into our homes we've domesticated them and we're essentially holding them hostage out of the goodness of our heart with nothing but loving intentions right Aaron? but we're also bringing these animals into our home and we just want to cuddle them we want to you know loving them overfeed them give them nothing but all these cookies and treats and cakes for their birthdays and spoil them rotten and which is great but we're humanizing them and we're not giving them what they need as animals so Allie was a name that somebody gave her I, I didn't name her Allie she when we adopted her that was her name but Allie is a dog and a, or a canine and they're an animal and they're a mammal and even further than that they're bacteria in their bodies we're all bacteria so we really have to you know when we're feeling that way and we feel like we want to just like throw all our emotional baggage on them. We really need to figure out what's important to them. What do they need? How can we honor and respect them as a species? That's the ultimate love. And not to step away from the nutrition side, but I know that they have a migration instinct. They have like a working need. They have a herd needs. Sometimes yep. we forget that. Yeah, exercise is, is really, really important. I mean, just before we talked, I was looking at a, a book that somebody gave me. I was the best man in a wedding in Vermont this past weekend. And the groom gave me a book on New England waterfalls. And I really can't wait to go through and check off the ones we did and find some new places to go with Allie. Because exercise is so important. There was a farm dog in Australia. Maggie lived to be 30 years old. 
Yeah, she was outside getting so much exercise every day. She practically lived outside. She wasn't allowed in the house, which I personally would never do that. My dog sleeps in my bed. When I'm home, she's always by my side. If I'm going on an errand, if I can take her, then she'll jump in the car with me. We'll go everywhere. She's my best friend. But, you know, this dog lived in a working farm. It had a job to do. It got that mental stimulation, that physical exercise. It was happy. It wasn't as much stress. It was out in the mud, in the dirt, playing around. It, it wasn't scolded for barking. Today, we're just suppressing everything. We got to live in apartments. We have our dogs. You know, they're not allowed to bark unless we get evicted. We have to, you know, keep them quiet and suppress these behaviors. And we bring our emotional baggage home from work and we, we can put it on them unintentionally. We really have to, to look at the clues of that dog in Australia that lived to be 30. Why did that dog live so long? You know, what was it eating? How often was it eating? What about the environment? Were there any chemicals and, and so on? So, you know, if you want to be a millionaire, you don't go talk to the guy on the street that's broke. You want to go talk to the person that is a millionaire. Taking clues from those scenarios and how can we replicate that? Exercise your dog. Take them for a long walk. That dog, Maggie, in Australia, lived with 30, got probably a minimum of two hours a day. And that's what I kind of strive for. It's hard. Like today, I didn't walk at it because, you know, I had a lot to catch up on after the wedding. But tomorrow, we'll be back in the woods for at least an hour. We have to make time for it. I'll have to read more up on Maggie. Unfortunately, though, I've heard that dogs are getting Cushing's disease more and more. What did Allie have? So Cushing's is elevated cortisol. So Allie had something called Plechner syndrome, which is it's atypical cortisol estrogen imbalance syndrome. So it's low cortisol elevated estrogen, deficient in IgA, IgM, IgF, so she's immunocompromised, um, and also low thyroid. So her body can't produce the necessary cortisol, which is the fight or flight hormone in our body. That's how we deal with stress. We need that. And she had elevated estrogen too. So it was a hormonal havoc, you know, hormonal chaos in her body, metabolic and chaos. And the thing that started that fire was being spayed at eight weeks old. We got her at nine weeks. She was spayed at eight weeks old. It's just way too young. Can you imagine if somebody ripped your or took out your ovaries and your, your uterus before as a baby, not having a chance to develop, you know, how that would affect your body? Yeah, before my next dog, I have to research about vaccines and also about waiting to neuter. Yeah, so today we have different surgical techniques that will render the animal incapable of being able to reproduce, but it will keep their sex hormones intact. That way we're not damaging the animal's endocrine system. Today, we still struggle with overpopulation. Dogs are dying in shelters every day, tons and tons of them. It's really sad. This is a very controversial topic, but we have to figure out another way because we're doing one thing with blinders on. We're not really thinking it all the way through. Like Allie, for example, if anybody but me had her, like they just would not be able to keep up with the medical bills, you know, and, and she would end up surrendered in a shelter. So it's not... Spaying and neutering is not solving the problem. We're still in an overpopulation problem, so we have to figure out something else. Did your vet guide you into the holistic things that you do for Allie, or how did you hear about less common modalities? It started when, you know, she was very sick. She was very, very sick, and she wasn't eating her kibble. You know, she was, I was feeding her processed food and wet food, and, and so she got very, very sick, and turned out that she had mast cell cancer, uh, an aggressive form of cancer at age five. And that was the start of it for me because I wasn't getting results at the vet and I was getting very frustrated that they couldn't help me. And I was beginning to do a little bit of research on my own on the computer. And I was bringing some questions to the vet. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? And they were just, you know, telling me, you know, don't go down that rabbit hole. Don't listen to Dr. Google. You should be doing this. If you don't do this, you're an irresponsible pet owner. They labeled me as non-compliant in, my, in the medical records, um, which I asked for and I saw. 
So, you know, it's just that it's become this, you know, profits over patients mentality for a lot of vets. Not all vets are bad, not, you know, and no one goes to school to do harm to an animal. But I do, there's a huge conflict of interest today. And we need to really question and be careful about everything. And a good vet would want you to research what they're saying too. Your vet should really be your best friend and your support. And so when Ali got cancer at five years old, I began researching heavily on, online when I got home from work, when I got home from school, up until I fell asleep with the laptop on my chest and Ali next to me at night. How did we get here? How did she get this? What can I do to help her? And that was really the start of it for me. There's a lot of conflicting information for both human wellness and for animal wellness. I feel like most people fear new information. I'm glad you took it upon yourself to do that research along with working with your vet. But most people, I feel, stick to what those around them taught them and what they did growing up with their animals. Yep. Because of that, I'm happy to have come across your group. I'm in a few specific canine groups, but you touch on all different things with prevention and healing tactics. You do a lot of interviews. How do you find professionals who do align with your non-mainstream ideas? Well, I think it's just from researching. We're actually a pretty small community. 96% of the population still feed processed food to their animals. 4% feed raw or fresh foods. And so we're actually a pretty small community, but we're, there's a lot of us at the same time. You don't have to really go far to find people that think like-minded or that feed fresh foods. We're out there and there are vets out there that do it. It's a matter of finding them and reaching out, even if you don't know them and saying hello, um, you know, I have a question for you. And that's really what happened with me is that I reached out to people that I didn't know. It was a shot in the dark, you know, and asked, asking for help, telling them where I am. And luckily they reached their hand out and, and helped me. And every, every, I've had many people along the journey that I've learned from and taken bits and pieces of information from in, in order to get to where I am. And after going through several vets, you know, the next one was, was a little bit better than the one before. I finally found my current vet, Dr. Margot Roman in Hopkinton, Massachusetts, MASH Main Street Animal Services of Hopkinton. And she's an integrated vet, so the best of conventional and holistic. And she's doing some really cutting edge stuff like microbiome, fecal transplants, ozone therapy, UVBI. Her and I do a lot of you know, Facebook lives together to tell people that pet parents, that there are better options out there. They have other options. And all hope is not lost if conventional medicine fails you bad, you know, because once they've used all the things in their toolbox and there's nothing left for them, then those are usually the animals that walk into her clinic. And there's still so many things we haven't tried yet. Homeopathy, herbs, Chinese medicine. And through that portal, I've met other people and have been able to get interviews with them as well and, and to bring people in my group that follow me on social media more information. Being open-minded to other potential options is what you have to do. Just don't stick to one idea. Exactly. Just be open-minded because I, I believe we have to unlearn in order to relearn and sometimes it's a, it's a very it's very scary and I still remember the day that Allie was in the emergency room and, and I didn't think she was going to make it. I remember the night before taking her for a walk on the beach and looking at her she looked so she looked so sickly, and you know, like she didn't have she didn't have any life left in her. And I remember that night she was in the emergency room, and we couldn't figure out what was wrong. And I was in tears on the phone with my parents. And you know, I happened to get a phone call from somebody in a, in a group on Facebook, who I didn't know very well. And she said to me, you know, do this, do that. You know, you need to feed raw. And so you know, she couldn't she didn't help me solve the entire problem, but she set me on the path to figuring it out. And then, like I said, one thing led to the next, but if you don't take that leap of faith, then if what you're doing is not working, then you need to try something else. And just because the vet is saying that this is what you have to do, you really need to 
remember that this is not healthcare, it's sick care. So we really need to do our own research and do our due diligence and our own homework because our pets' lives, they depend on us. They're our responsibility. Also, instead of waiting until they do need sick care, I think trying to get them to run optimally now when I lost my mom is how I started to learn about human foods and how it either feeds or fights disease. So in 2013, no one cared when I started to mention like your insides matter. It doesn't matter how you look. It's what's going on on the inside, which is now referred to as gut health. And I'm happy it's more prominently spoken about. But then again, only if you interject yourself into like an open-minded place where people discuss new ideas. Like if I went to my friend's house and said, never give your dog dry food again, they'd be like, what are you talking about? But it's new to them. So I feel you have to be proactive. Absolutely. I mean, I remember I told you a couple days ago that I had a really cool story to share from Vermont. And speaking of gut health, what do you think? Dogs, dogs in the wild, they would have been, you know, they're eating dirt. They're getting muddy. They're, they're you know, and I, I let Allie play in the pond. She likes to chase frogs. She's never caught one and she probably ever won't ever because they're just so fast. And, you know, but she'll try. But I, I enjoy letting her play in the pond and, and go after frogs and chase them and get muddy and dirty. I don't care if she tracks a little bit of dirt and mud in the house. It's not a big deal because it's about her mental health and her what's going to make her happy. And it's just so amazing to watch her do that and be happy and, and like, and here in the, in the back of my head, I'm, you know, I catch myself spinning and, and thinking about something that happened at work that day and getting stressed out. And then I have to bring myself back and be like, you know what, he, in the here and now, like, look at her. She's so happy. You know, I, I really, we really need to see dogs as our teachers. They are, they're really our teachers. I look up to her so much and it's really my responsibility to give her everything that she needs. And speaking of that, gut health is so important. And there's so many things that are damaging it, such as processed foods, over-vaccinating, flea and tick, you know, pesticide, topicals, glyphosate, you know, Roundup, that's huge. We can do everything and still wind up with cancer, which is sad. We can do everything right and still wind up with cancer. It's really sad. But what else can we do that's going to be inexpensive or, or, no, or not cost anything at all that's going to be beneficial to our dogs? If you do antibiotics one time, it's going to disrupt, it kills all the good in the back. So it's going to disrupt the entire microbiome and the gut health. When I gave Allie antibiotics every couple of weeks for diarrhea, not knowing the damage I was causing, it almost killed her. When I finally met Dr. Ro Roman in Massachusetts, she does microbiome restorative therapy. So she uses her own dogs, um, fifth generation puppies that are organically, holistically raised, you know, minimal vaccines. They're always, they're all eating fresh, organic, raw foods. Like they're vital, thriving animals. She takes their poop and she gives it to sick animals rectally in the form of a slurry using a catheter and a syringe. But before that, does ozone therapy to remove the biofilm in their, in their colon, which is a sticky stuff in our mouth when we wake up. So it gives the bacteria a better place to latch on to a better home. You know what, Erin? It completely cured Allie of her IBD. And, you know, I know that I, it's really, I feel uncomfortable throwing that word cure around. But it's true though, like the gut is so important. It's the foundation of health. So when I went to Vermont this past weekend um, for a wedding, I drove a half an hour out of my way to go to an organic 100% grass-fed dairy farm, goat, I'm sorry, goat farm in Vermont. And I asked the farmer, can I take some soil? Can I take some dirt and manure and goat poop and put it in a glass? I brought a glass jar with me. And every day I've been giving Allie about a teaspoon of that much food. And she loves it. Dr. Roman sometimes feeds her dogs outside and they're dragging the raw bone, you know, the raw meaty bone through the dirt and then they're burying it, letting it ferment for a couple of weeks and digging it back up and eating it. 
Like that's something that we might yell at them for, get mad at them for, but they're dogs, they're animals, and this is what they would do. So we need to let them be who they are. There's a reason. Like there's a reason they do these things. So don't feed dirt that's been sprayed with pesticides. You know, you need to do your research and like I found this farm online and they take care of the, the soil health means everything to them. They raise their goats holistically. They sell raw goat milk, which I got some of. They have a dog, Wyeth, an English shepherd, who is out in the farm every day working, rolling in the mud, playing in the mud and the dirt, eating the poop, hurting the goats, eats raw foods, does all the st- same things that we do. And I'm hoping, hoping that dog lives a very long time. But we have to replicate what they would do in nature. I didn't know about the dirt. I really like that story. Goat milk actually helped Lily a lot. Like I could see the change and I actually just drank a cup of goat milk today because awesome. it worked on her. It must do something for us too. A lot of beneficial bacteria in that, in that raw milk. Yeah, I actually just took a gut microbiome test. It took about eight weeks to get the results, but I mean, I was happy to just see when they give recommendations. A superfood that works for somebody might be horrible for somebody else. So exactly. I'm glad to learn about the dirt. Yeah, no, it's it, so just feed healthy soil. It'd be amazing. So if you have access to farms, then find a farm that you know, raises grass-fed animals or really focuses on regenerative, regenerative agriculture and this, the soil health. And, you know, ask them for a little bit of that soil or manure and just every day give a little bit to your dog. Talking about soil, so my lily, I don't know if I could say this out loud without having to pause. I read more and more that dogs are getting lymphoma and that the rate is increasing with them. And they say it's because of two things. They are saying EMFs and pesticides. So without getting too deep into each of those alone, I guess you do agree that the environment affects the dog's health? Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like I have to move to a state with no grass because all of my neighbors have white flags out. And I'm like, do you even realize like you're doing this to impress somebody who's at work all day? Why? We live in a world where having the perfect green lawn is is a status competition almost. Who can have the biggest house, the greenest lawn, and and, and we're, we're killing ourselves, we're killing our animals, and we're not happy. I mean, it's not that if that's what makes you happy, then I feel like you have some digging to do, soul searching to do. I can live with very, very little, minimal, you know, the, just the essential, you know, and that's what makes me happy. But as far as the, the lawn goes, you know, go talk to your neighbor, ask them if they know that what they're doing is causing harm to um, not only themselves and their family, but the environment and those around them. There's a way to do it that's a very gentle, uh, respectful way. But if they're not being open-minded, then there's really nothing we can do to change their mind. Hopefully they wake up one day and realize, and sometimes that's what it takes is that they have to, we're all on our own journeys. So it might take something really bad to happen, um, but they'll have to connect the dots, connect, I'm sorry, connect the dots to realize that that was a, that was a giant factor and then make that change themselves. You know, I got my parents to change from using pesticides to uh, an essential oil spray on their on their lawn. It smells really nice and it's not doing any harm to their dog or my dog when we're over or themselves. Because my stepdad already had cancer once in his arm. And you know what, they're not the healthiest people. I'm really proud of them, they made that change. But as far as the neighbors that continue to do that and there's nothing we can do, you can, when you take your dog for a walk, when you come back home, you can give them a foot soap. So using like povidone iodine, which is betadine, you know, you can dilute that in water to the color of iced tea and just dunk your dog's paws in it in a bowl one at a time or do it in a tub or a sink if they're small enough and for two to five minutes each paw. And that way they can get rid of all that chemical buildup in their paws. Because you're right, with lymphoma, there's a 70 to 90% increase in lymphoma from lawn chemicals alone. They're outside on the grass, 
sniffing it, they're eating it, they're rolling around in it, licking themselves, getting into the bloodstream, and they can even give it to us. They can give cancer to us. How scary is that? I know the bottle says safe for animals and people trust too much. They need to think on their own. And feel free to disagree or add your input, but I feel a lot of out-of-the-box information. It's too new to have long-standing clinical data proving its efficacy. And that being said, I don't always trust the source of info, but people and especially doctors, they are data-driven and it makes such treatments off-putting because it seems like we let a lot of people make decisions for us. Like, oh, my doctor told me this was the treatment. It's like, well, take a pill for your life. It's going to just do it without looking into what do they do in Europe? What do they do here? So I encourage listening, advocating for yourself, and making your own decisions for those you love. Because to your dog, you're their entire world. And they trust with more trust than humans can ever have within them. Mm-hmm. And that's just my personal opinion. No, I totally. And you know, Aaron, like it's something that I think we all have to learn the hard way sometimes. And we have to look at it as dogs come on this earth. Um, there are angels. They come here to teach us lessons. And we have to listen to them. We really do. Because we have become so far disconnected from what's truly important, what is truly what happiness means and what's nourishing to our bodies and what's healthful. And, you know, we have to start waking up because if we don't, we're, we're heading down a really bad, dangerous path. And they're coming down with these aggressive cancers to tell us that we need to wake up. And I wanted to ask you about that because I know a lot of people take CBD. It's sold everywhere. But how did you begin working with Lee and King Harvest? So I began working with Lee because I, one day I found a video on, on YouTube um, when I was doing research because Allie had cancer. I just got rid of her, her cancerous tumor via surgery. found a video on YouTube of a dog that beat lymphoma using cannabis oil and was given a couple months to live and is still alive actually today over four years later um, with King Harvest cannabis oils. And growing up in, in school, I stayed far away from people that smoked pot. And I was like, you know, you're bad. I'm never going to do drugs. But you know what though? Like as I got older, and when it came to my dog, Allie, you know, she's really the one that taught me about the importance of exercise, the importance of nutrition. And the same thing with, with medical marijuana and cannabis is that when I saw that dog that beat cancer, I began to research it. And I, and I pr- probably researched it and looked at that video for an entire year or so before I ever reached out to King Harvest and Lee. You know, once I did and I got some oil for my dog and for myself for my depression and anxiety, and it gave me a whole new quality of life. And I saw it give my dog... Um, more of a pep in her step. And I'm using it for prevention and to treat the underlying cause, inflammation, which is the root cause of chronic disease and cancer. And so I saw what a difference it made in her. And I've just been using it ever since to be more proactive about it. And why does King Harvest stand out to you over all these brands everywhere? Well, the more that I've been working for them, the more that I'm seeing, you know, it's quite obvious there's so many CBD companies out there that are just popping up left and right for humans and for pets, especially. Um, and we just need to be careful about what we're putting in our bodies and who we're trusting. And there's a big difference between hemp and marijuana. Under the cannabis umbrella, there's a CBD can come from hemp and it can come from marijuana. And so we really need CBD and THC derived from, from marijuana. Even further, it needs to be organic, non-GMO, pesticide-free. That soil needs to help be healthy that the plant was grown in. Um, no chemicals in the environment. You need to have third-party lab testing. You need to know exactly what's in it. It's going to be even better if there's somebody that can help walk you through how to dose your animal and what you're giving, why you're giving it, and that's going to make you confident and comfortable with dosing because really 
it's microdosing. You start low, you go slow. And there's no, there's no CBD for dogs and CBD for, for humans. We all have, we're all mammals. We have an endocannabinoid system. If we nurse when they're, mammals that nurse when they're young have an endocannabinoid system. Us, dogs, cats. And we, we all require that both CBD and THC, provided there's no, nothing toxic in there, like chocolate or xylitol, or and you wouldn't give your dog high THC right away. You need to really, like I said, start low and go slow and be responsible about it. Do your due diligence, do your research, choose a company that's trustworthy, someone that's not going to, you know, lead you down the wrong path, tell you all the different, you know, both from both sides, you know, the side effects, you know, anecdotally, what's, what's been seen what you can expect and really be there by your side for the entire entire process. That's why I like King Harvest. They told me exactly what they recommended. And King Harvest has different recommendations for the time of day, the type of disorder you're treating. It's not just like, oh, buy this one. It's cherry flavored, you know, like you see in the stores. So I liked mm -hmm. that. And they also taught me how to microdose yep. and they just had customer service. I could call you whenever I needed to. So <laughs> yep. If I had a dog that was sick with cancer or just sick, I'd want somebody to be there for me. And that's one of the, you know, my phone rings off the hook all day long, literally. And, and it's tough, but at the same time, like it's a real honor and privilege to be there for people in this time of, their, of need. And you know what? I, I take my experience. I've brought that to King Harvest. And every time I talk to somebody on the phone, we literally go over everything. And you know, a, a cannabis is actually a fraction of what we talk about. Because a lot of times people that I'm on the phone with don't even know that you can feed your dog fresh food. Right. And so it's a giant conversation and it's overwhelming. But the cannabis part, we're there for you. It's really the, the thing you have to worry about the least because we're there to literally break it down for you and guide you through it, walk you through it, hold your hand, and you don't have to worry about it. There's so much else out there too that we really need to be thinking about. Like we talked about environment, food, basically every little thing we put in our body is going to either harm or heal us. I don't think I waited till day of diagnosis. I think first symptom, I just decided on my own to change Lily's diet. I didn't know about Foley Raw. Well, I didn't know, understand it enough, but I, I started with diet and then my integrative oncologist taught me about Chinese herbs and I just kept diving deeper and deeper and I wish I knew this her whole life. I'm glad that you're sharing this with people. And do you have a takeaway to share with current and even future pet owners that might currently take the mainstream approach to pet care? Where can they start in really doing the right thing for their pet? Well, I think that once we know better, we can only do better. So I still beat myself up today for everything I did wrong, but I, I try to bring myself back and really and really try not to, but it's hard because you know, I do feel bad for everything I've done wrong. But at the same time, like dogs live in the moment. She's, Allie's not, you know, holding a grudge against me. She loves me very much. Lily loves you very much. Not looking down on you and holding a grudge for what you did wrong or what you didn't know. And this podcast that you're doing, the fact that you're, we're, we're talking right now, and this is because of Lily. Lily is connected us. So she's leaving a legacy. She's going to be touching more people through this episode, which is amazing. And that's, and that's why she walked into your life. And this is why things happen. Every moment's a teachable moment. So, you know, I, I would say don't beat yourself up for things that we did in the past that weren't necessarily good for them because it's really a, a journey and a learning process and we can only do what we've been taught to do and, and we have to kind of, we're on our own sometimes. So do your research as little as five minutes a day could really be a lot and could really help your dog and yourself. Get outside, move your body, get some fresh air and sunshine. Really try to work to decrease stress in your life as much as possible. Do meditation, yoga, join a gym, whatever it's going to take for you to decrease stress it's ultimately going to affect your animal as, as well love on them give them what they need raw species appropriate diets try to limit the amount of chemicals 
that they're exposed to inside, outside. There are tons of recipes for natural cleaners online. Look at their bedding and just everything. Go around your home and look at what's what's around you. Look at the ingredients. Go through every single ingredient. It's going to take a little bit of time, but it's going to be worth it in the long run for yourself and your animals. If you're washing their bowl with that stuff, Dawn dish soap every single day, it's the chronic low-dose exposures to these chemicals. They're going to have a detrimental effect in the long run. So really think about that and do the best you can. And don't beat yourself up for it, but really try to think about what they need as animals, as species. Really try to replicate that through what you put in that bowl on a daily basis, exercise. Don't overuse antibiotics. Protect that microbiome, protect the gut, feed it. You're feeding that gut. We're all bacteria. When you go to feed your dog or your cat, you're not feeding. I'm not feeding Allie. I'm feeding the bacteria in her gut. That's why I got that dirt and that manure from the farm in Vermont, because I'm feeding her gut. And I did so much damage to it with antibiotics that I may never get her gut back the way it was. And one of the, another reason why is when dogs are born, they can be through C-section or vaginally. And when they're born via C-section, they're not getting the microbiome, the bacteria that they would when they were, if they were born vaginally. So already that dog could be at a disadvantage. You know, and maybe the parents of that dog may have had a compromised gut as well. We need to go back to basics and focus on, from the start, as best as we can, setting them up for success, Focus on good breeding practices and things like that. It is a compound effect. It's the same with humans, just because you don't see the result. Like, what are these treats that we're giving them? What's in that bone? So, like you said, read every label because it will add up. Yeah. You know, if, if, you don't, if you don't have a chemically sprayed yard or if you can go in the woods and you can give them a raw meaty bone, like a beef marrow bone, let them drag it around the dirt, you know, and things like that and gnaw on it. Like, that would be amazing. Let them do that. Let them clean their teeth. Don't be going to the store and buying a toothbrush and toothpaste full of chemicals. You can use coconut oil and baking soda. You can do that. And let them chew on raw meaty bones, things like that. Like, don't forget that these animals were designed to chew on, you know, raw meat, crunch on bones and eat dirt. And they didn't brush their teeth in the wild. People have told me that raw food diet for canines is bad because of the chance of bacteria exposure. What's your opinion on that? That's what dogs eat in nature. They evolved from the gray wolf. So, you know, kibble's only been around for about 120 years. What, what were they eating before the invention of kibble? You know, James Pratt invented dog cakes or puppy cakes. And, you know, that was the beginning of this whole processed pet food. The pet food industry is a giant, giant, giant moneymaker. And it's, it's a billion dollars. We have to be really careful with who we're allowing to feed our dogs. The candy company, we really, really need to train ourselves to know how to read a label and to figure out what's in that bag. And it's not always what's on the cover, or what's on the picture, or what's on the in front of the bag, those big glossy pet food, food bags when you go to the pet food store. Whenever I go into Petco or PetSmart, I never buy anything. The only thing I go in there for is to buy dog poop bags. I don't buy their treats. I don't buy their toys. My dog plays with sticks. She... She was a knob on sticks. If you come into my house, you'll see some twi- some sticks around. That's what she plays with. She'll pl- she'll eat natural raw hides, not the ones that are in the store that are chemically laden with glue and bleach and all that stuff. And as far as the bacteria goes, they can handle it. Their guts, they're designed to handle raw meat and bacteria. They're animals. Look at their teeth. Look at the canines. They're meant to eat and rip and tear raw meat and flesh off a bone can very much handle it. From what I understand, their stomachs have different enzymes that are meant for breaking down raw foods. Yes, absolutely. As they get older, we need to be providing them with digestive enzymes to help them break down these foods too. You know, in the wild, they'd be getting like brain and eyeball and pancreas and fur and magnesium. If we're not feeding all that, then we should be really 
supplementing with a glandular supplement that's going to provide all those nutrients that they'd be getting in Mother Nature. Am I correct that chicken bones is the one thing they can't have? They can have chicken bones. Actually, chicken bones, when raw, not cooked. Not so when cooked. They're raw, okay. When they're raw, they're soft and pliable. A lot of times you'll see online when you are trying to transition your dog to raw, they'll say start with chicken because it's bland and more of a bone-heavy item like a chicken leg quarter or a chicken neck or a chicken wing. That will help keep the stool firm and help them transition better over to a raw food diet. That's what you'll find online. And I find that to be true as well. But chicken bones and raw bones, as long as they're raw, they'll be good. And never feed cooked bones your dog and also there are certain types of bones recreational and edible bones like a marrow bone wouldn't be edible don't feed a marrow bone they can eat the marrow they can gnaw on it and rip the the, the flesh off but you you wouldn't want to feed those are weight bearing bones they can crack teeth at the same time so be careful there do your research on weight you know recreational versus edible bones and my future rescues will eat raw. I've already decided like it's 100% what's going to happen, but I don't want somebody to just start throwing a chicken breast to their dog because there's a lot of minerals that need to be in their diet. So I just encourage you to research raw if you're listening because there are a lot of additives. Like, is it manganese? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Aaron. You want to you make sure that you're working with a veterinary. You know, there's, there's a lot of veterinary nutritionists that, but not all of them, or actually very few of them, support raw feeding. So it's true. Just, because, yep. just because they have the, the, the title of veterinary nutritionist, it's most likely they were trained by the big pet food companies. In vet school, they get about eight hours of nutritional training. They're taught by heels. Um, if your dog has kidney disease, feed this kidney disease diet, special kibble, prescription kibble. It, it shouldn't even be prescription. There's no, there's nothing prescription about it. The first ingredient is genetically modified corn, like that's come on. And so you're going to feed raw. They definitely need to be balanced. And you want to be making sure you're following a recipe from a trusted source, like Dr. Karen Becker or Rodney Habib or Pause for Change has many recipes out there that you can, that you can get. And there's a lot of books out there as well. My friend Kimberly Morris Gautier, Keep the Tail Wagging is her blog. And she has a couple books out, two books out right now on raw feeding. And my friend Scott Dog Dad, you can find him on Facebook too dog dad, Scott, and he has a business called Learn to Raw Feed 101. So those are two really good. And also Ronnie Lejeune, who owns the company Perfectly Rawsome, is an awesome, awesome um, nutritionist as well, and she'll formulate a meal plan for you. He also has a lot of free information on meal on meals, DIY meals. So those are three really good sources you can check out. Thank you for those suggestions. I learned from a lot of free information on YouTube from Dr. Karen Becker, and then you said Rodney Habib. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, the, the little, the little, pay attention to the little details. Like, you know, if, you, if your dog has to have pills for whatever reason, don't go to the store and get green, the little pill pockets. Make your own pill pockets. Make your own, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Pets are family, so treat them as you would a child. Absolutely. Our energy, I, they can feel that. So if we have high stress, I feel like it does rub off on them. Yeah, stress, you know, take a little bit of cannabis, unwind, or go out for a jog, take them with you if they're physically able to, you know, if they can keep up, or take them for a walk. And you don't really want to go out without your phone in case something happens, but turn it off. Turn your phone off, shut off from the world, focus on you and your dogs, listen to the trees, or the sound of your feet hitting the ground. Grounding is phenomenal. Go walking in the woods with bare feet if you can. It's awesome. It really connects you to earth. I agree being outside vitamin D and grounding is very important and I feel like it has to be a priority. I know moms and people 
can't always do it, but I feel like it makes a huge difference on how someone feels and how your mind even concentrates. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right now I'm working on how to teach people about their own personal wellness journey and all the things I learned after I lost my mom had taught me so much. But once Lily got sick, I learned a whole new realm. It's up to us to really go out there and search for it. Even if something happens, if we have built their body, and like you said, their microbiome to be sustainable, they can overcome. Their body can heal itself in some ways. So we want them to run at full level. We want them to be the best that they can be. Absolutely. Even supplements. I mean, we take vitamins. I feel our, our dogs should be taking vitamins. Yeah. Yep. And I don't want to discourage people who have little tiny, like my friend has a little Maltese mix of something and she feeds raw. She didn't vaccinate. She got it from a holistic breeder and it doesn't matter the breed. They are canines. And so I feel like this applies to even your little designer dog. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. They need the right nutrition. Maybe something that expires. That has to be fresh. If they don't get fresh food for their whole life, that just isn't enough for them. When you open that bag of kibble, Aaron, and, and those fats sprayed on that kibble, those omega-3 fatty acids, they, go, they begin to oxidize and go rancid. And that bag, that 30-pound bag that you bought to feed your dog for the month is sitting on that shelf in the garage, in that hot garage in the summer, and it's, it's, it's getting disgusting. It's, it's oxidizing. And when you go to feed that to your dog, it's going to create inflammation in the body and cause disease. Maybe not, maybe not that month, but later down the road, at some point, that dog will have chronic disease. And there are some dogs out there that eat kibble all their life and appear to be fine. You know, like the lady or you know, the woman or the man that smoke all their life and they be 98. But then the person that does everything right, eats healthy, exercises, but they don't get as long of a life or they have terrible issues, you know? So it's really hard to explain, but why take that chance, you know? Yeah, exactly. You want the best one life. You just want to do your best. So that's why I feel learning each day, like you said, just a few minutes a day and researching your options is going to be yeah. the best for your pet. Absolutely. And you know what? The, the dog Maggie in Australia lived to be 30. Didn't eat every day. That dog ate four to five times a week. The owner would put down the food every single day, twice a day. But if Maggie didn't come to eat the food, then he would pick it up and she just didn't eat that day. She got a cup of raw milk every day, half cup twice a day. She got tons of exercise. Allie, on Sunday, on our way home from Vermont, it was pouring rain outside, and we didn't get any exercise that day all day. I didn't feed her that day. I didn't feed her from Saturday morning till Monday morning. She fasted. So that's good for them. Like, intermittent fasting is really good for them. You know, your body has a chance to rest, restore, heal, repair, and then, you know, it's just got wonderful benefits. I've heard about fasting for dogs and research on that. And I guess, well, I know we reach autophagy on our stomachs when we fast for a certain period of hours. So I guess the same with them, the bad cells leave the body. Yep. So one of the best things you can do is cyclical ketosis. So going, your body going in and out of ketosis is really, really good for you. It start, you can starve cancer cells. It's one of the biggest things. And it's anti-aging. We're not meant to be eating... Well, dogs aren't meant to be eating high-protein diets. Protein is actually a terrible fuel source. It's a building block. So puppies need high-protein raw diets to grow healthy and develop fully. But as dogs get older, they really need less protein, but high-quality protein, moderate high-quality protein, low-carb, and high-fat. So that's more species-appropriate. Provide them with more fuel, fat for fuel. 
Yeah, I actually cycle in and out of ketosis. I do a whole cycle fast and then a different cycle, fast, different cycle. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Hope you learned something today here. And Peter, where can we find you online? Where can we find your group and learn more about what you share with us? So you can go on my Facebook group, which is called Allie's, A-L-L-I-E-S, Allie's Canine, C-A-N-I-N-E, Cancer Crew. Allie's Canine Cancer Crew on Facebook. And you can follow me personally as well to see all my videos and my Facebook lives that I do with my veterinarian, Dr. Margot Roman, and other vets and other pet health experts. And hopefully you and your dog benefit from the information that I share because I just want to help every dog live to be as healthy in the longest life possible. Well, I appreciate everybody you're helping. Thanks for being here today. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for having me. It was truly an honor to be here. Thank you. Bye. Take care. If you'd like to keep listening, I left a story that Peter had told me for you to hear. Then he tells us his backstory up until the day he first started to heal Allie. Also, there's an 85-year-old plumber from Austin, Texas named Jake Perry. And Jake Perry, you know, is a, is a cat rescuer. He had about 20 to 30 cats in his, in, his, in his home at any given time. And he broke the Guinness Book of World Records twice for the world of cat, 34 and 38, Grandpa Rex and Cream Puff were the names of the cats. And what was this, he had many cats that lived into their late 20s, but what was he doing that was causing these cats to live so long? And, you know, I believe they were eating processed foods, but he was adding a fresh egg, a scrambled egg onto their food and bacon and um, broccoli. And we all know this, broccoli is not the same as it was a long time ago because because of how it's grown and, and the chemicals and all that. But the sulfur, the sulforaphane, I believe I pronounced it right, in the broccoli is anti-cancer. And so there you go. And that's one answer. And then also he was syringing his cats uh, a little a little tiny squirt of, of red wine and, at night. And in the morning, he was giving a little bit of coffee via syringe as well, a tiny squirt. Um, and in coffee, there's something in coffee that suppresses mTOR in the body that can be anti-aging. And in red wine, there's something called resveratrol, which can also be anti-aging and anti-cancer as well. And so I'm not, I'm not a vet and I'm not saying to anybody, give your dog and cat coffee and red wine. Please, please, please don't do that. Like you have to do your own research, talk to your vets. And ultimately if anything happened, it's on the person listening that decides to try that. But I am doing that for Ellie. I'm giving her a little bit of red wine. I went and got, talked to my vet. She'd never, she hadn't heard of it. She actually hadn't, doesn't know anyone that's doing that. And she said, it, it sounds like a very positive, good thing to do, but it could go good, it could go bad. And it was ultimately up to me. But I wanted to clear, I wanted to get an opinion on it. And then I went out and did some research on some quality, organic, uh, you know, sustainably farmed red wines um, with no chemicals. And I found and I found one and, and I gave, gave a little bit to Ali whenever I have some, which is a couple times a week. Um, and it's, you know, Jake Perry, who is the 85-year-old plumber in Texas, who had the world's oldest cat, he didn't know what he was doing. I doubt he knew about resveratrol. I think he was just sharing what he was enjoying himself with his cats out of love. Um, but there are supplements you can give too, like resveratrol made from Japanese knotweed that can be beneficial as well, that you know that will cause harm. Um, and what Dr. Karen Becker, if anyone familiar, is familiar with Dr. Karen Becker, the world-renowned, you know, the most famous veterinary in the world, she said that there's something called hormesis, which means that it's like just enough, just a little bit of something that's going to kind of give your body 
a jolt to just wake you up and kill off bad cells and protect good healthy cells, but too much of that substance could also kill you. So that's kind of explains, you know, most people think grapes are toxic to pets, but, you know, growing up, my parents gave their, their golden, the family dog, Mindy, the golden, our golden retriever, grapes growing up. And also Dr. Roman, my vet, she gave grapes to her dog growing up and has used grapes as training treats, you know, and, and also, you know, she, she also told me the story, Dr. Roman, about when she was 25 years old, one of, she, she came across a dog that lived to be also 25. And she asked the owner, what did you do? How is this dog so old? And she remembers very clearly that the owner was giving the dog a little bit of coffee, a very tiny bit of coffee. Now, please don't get Dunkin' Donuts coffee to your dog. You know, you, it was probably very quality coffee beans. You know, no, no mycotoxins whatsoever. But it, it's a very risky thing to do. So, like you said, you want to talk to your vet. You want to do your research. And you want to be very careful. If anything happens, it's ultimately on the person. But it's very cool. And, I, and I'm really fascinated by all of this because, you know, I think there's just still so much we haven't learned. And it's just very fascinating. So my family is Italian. And when I'd come home from school or work, the first thing my mom or Nana would ask me is, am I hungry? And what do I want to eat? Have I eaten today? Oh, you're too thin. Your skin and bones. We need to fatten you up. And the food was delicious. It was amazing. The homemade meat sauce was so good, but it wasn't really healthy. A lot of my family is overweight. Exercise wasn't really a priority. You know, you work hard during the day. You come home, you kick your feet up. You have a delicious homemade meal, watch some TV, and you do it all over again. If you were sick, you went to the doctor, you took your prescriptions and felt better. Looking back today, I would say that we are or are very conscientious about our health and well-being. That's just how it was and still is, but not entirely. When my stepdad, Carrie... And his little dog Buster came into our came into the picture. Life changed. When I was just a kid, my family had a golden retriever named Mindy, who I vaguely remember. I have pictures of her and I, and I together. And my mom still has shared stories with me of how she once ate part of the coffee table, but was a good dog nonetheless. Very gentle, friendly with everyone. Those are the memories I have of her. When my stepdad came into the picture with his dog Buster. I fell in love. I love that dog. I really credit him for my love of animals. I didn't have many friends growing up. I battled and still do. But to this day, depression and anxiety, and when I would come home from school, Buster was there wagging his tail, happy to see me when I walked in the door. One day, my stepdad was on the computer and called me over to show me a puppy on PetFinder.com, and it was Allie. And my response was, she's kind of ugly. The truth was, I wasn't a fan of change. I was happy and content with how things were. Getting another dog would shake things up, and boy, did it ever. Not long after, Allie arrived from Tennessee, and that was the day that my life really changed forever. Her struggles, both behaviorally and medically, are the foundation of why I have the viewpoints I do today. I raised Allie really the same way that my parents raised me conventionally, except she didn't get human food. She was dog food or feed. But that's what it is. It's processed. It's not real food. I didn't know that food could, be, could heal or food could harm, that it could be used as a very powerful tool or a very destructive weapon, especially with animals that live and die, let's just say about 15 years. Today, I'm very focused on environment lifestyle and food. Now I know that food is a huge component in either intentionally creating health or by default allowing disease to occur. There's very little focus on nutrition in vet school. They definitely weren't or aren't using nutrition to fix disease or prevent it from occurring. Ali ate grocery food, dry food, cables and bits. Sometimes I'd add a little bit of Alpo wet food on top or mixed in to switch things up. It was nasty. I left the food out all day for her. 
She was the most unenthusiastic dog ever when it came to mealtime. She was just a very nervous dog, and I thought, well, this is how it's going to be. These are the cards she was, she was, or we were dealt. You know, her tummy was always loud and gurgly. She was going to go outside and eat grass to vomit and purge whatever was bothering her. Stools were never great. You know, ranging from to cow patties to straight out watery diarrhea, sometimes with blood in it. It would bring her. I'd bring her to my local vet all this time for this, like twice a month. Sprinkling the occasional ER vet when the vet was closed or after hours or on a Sunday, and Nelly was in rough shape. She'd go home with antibiotics. Metronidazole got sub-Q fluids for dehydration because she was eating kibble, which has no moisture. Plus, diarrhea dehydrates you more. Um, famotidine, which is which is um, pepsid, and sometimes mirtapine, which is an appetite stimulant. And that was the loop. You'd be stuck in this cycle for years. I went to the pet store and got the most expensive bag of dry food I could find from the latest um, commercial that says to feed them like family, feed them natural and healthy, etc., or the promotional stand in the store with um, you know, lots of beautiful colors and pictures. That's how I made my decision. Um, Allie got work, and the local vet could no longer do anything for us. GI issues were really tricky, as they said. And I still remember sitting on the floor with the vet and Allie and the vet telling me that I should go to Tufts Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine in Grafton, Massachusetts here, with a well-known vet PQ hospital and see internal medicine and nutrition. So I met with Dr. Hines and Dr. Johnson, board-certified vet nutritionists, who went over Allie's case with me. And then they gave me a printout of a list of dry foods and wet foods to feed Royal Canin, IMS, Neutro, Proplan, and Pills. And one positive was that they gave me a handful of fruits and veggies I could feed as treats. When I brought up that I was interested in feeding raw, they told me, and I quote, would steer very clear of those products. They gave me the scare about pathogenic bacteria, unbalanced diets, untruthful companies, and said raw food companies do a good job of making you feel guilty for whatever you're feeding and trying to plant out that you're not doing the best thing for your dog, then it's all marketing, it's not science. They told me not to go down the rabbit hole of looking for even better and continue to feed the diet they recommended. They even discouraged a home-cooked diet when I expressed interest in just feeding real food and getting off kibble entirely. They said, and I quote again, there is absolutely no evidence that feeding home-cooked is healthier. When I responded to that, that I don't understand why it wouldn't be healthier and that I've seen how they make kibble, how it loses all the stuff when it goes through the heat processing, how they use the good part of the animal protein for human consumption and the worst part for dogs, and then just spray it with fat and things to make it taste good and appealing to the dog, plus something called the vitamin and mineral premix, which is extremely toxic and is responsible for the hills recall that kills thousands and thousands of dogs due to, due to excess vitamin D. I said to Tufts that it seems like anything would be better than feeding that to my dog, and why wouldn't I feed fresh meat, fruit, and veggies and supplements. Their response was, it sounds like you've been doing some reading on the internet. 90% of info on pet nutrition on the internet and in books and magazines is bad info. I remember the last night that Allie was in the ER and I didn't think she was gonna make it. Things were bad. She had lost almost 10 pounds and just looked absolutely awful. She had no life in her. That was the, the very beginning of this entire journey for me. Thank you for listening. You can find every episode, including the written versions to read on AaronRowe.com. Be sure to leave a review because I love hearing your opinions on the topics I shared. Are they new? Are they helpful for you? Tap that subscribe button so you don't miss the future interviews and enlightenment to come. This episode was brought to you by me and only me because I love sharing new ideas with you. Take action to become better. Have a fabulous day.